0: I want to talk about darkness and light and maybe just look at some of the fruit how we can judge by the fruit in our life whether God is really with us or not. Right. We live in a religious region and religion can deceive you into thinking you're right with God. And we live in a very educated intellectual culture so you could think just because you can quote scripture, maybe you're right with God. And so you just need to understand that demons fear God more than we do. And they tremble. Most Christians don't even know how to tremble before God. And demons know the Bible way better than all of us because they're a spirit that has studied the Bible. They, they know doctrines. So, I don't know, maybe you know God and you and quote scripture, but maybe that just means you're manifesting a demon. So we got to look for something more than just knowing the Bible, quoting scripture. We have to look for the fruit of what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. Uh, before I go further, I, I, we touched briefly Wednesday night on uh, familiar spirits, strongholds, and kind of the order of laying hands on people in a prayer line. And so one of the verses I used Wednesday night was Daniel 4 talking about Daniel seeing in a vision, a watcher and a holy one. And I taught it from the perspective, there's a conjunction there in the King James, as well as some of the older translations, a watcher and a holy one. And somebody brought it to my attention afterwards. Pastor, if you look at it in a new translation, it doesn't say a watcher and a holy one. It says a watcher, comma, a holy one. So their point was, Pastor, it may not be the best verse to use. It doesn't look good in the modern translations. And I said, admittedly, it's not the best verse in the world to use to teach on familiar spirits. And it's written in Aramaic. Daniel is one of the, Daniel and part of Nehemiah and Ezra in Aramaic. Um, Daniel's all in Aramaic, so it's not Hebrew or Greek, but there's no conjunction in the Aramaic. But enough translations add the conjunction that makes you think, if we're talking about two people, a watcher, and a holy one, and my point was there are watchers and then there's holy ones. But even if there isn't a conjunction there, and there isn't in the Aramaic, even if one is not implied, and I don't know any Aramaic at all, the point could still be taken. He says a watcher, comma, a holy one. Okay, so there's others. You can still deduce the same doctrine that Daniel says, I saw a watcher come out of heaven, but this was a holy one. Okay, so what else is coming out of heaven? If he has to stop and make mention that this was a holy one, this was a sanctified, a, sac- a, a sacred one, it sounds a lot like Paul in Second Corinthians says there was giving unto me a messenger of Satan. What kind of messenger was it, Paul? I'm glad you asked. It was a demonic one because the Greek word is angelos, where we get our word angel. So he distinguishes there are angels and they transform themselves, demons they transform themselves into angels of light. So my point is, I may not have. Exegeted that verse the best Wednesday night, but you can still deduce the same thing out of it that there are watchers, and Daniel has to clarify twice in Daniel chapter 4 there's watchers, and this was a holy one, a holy watcher. So we made the point with familiar spirits they watch us, and they study us, and they watch our church services and they watch strip clubs, and they watch politicians, and they watch culture, and they have an assignment to bring about darkness and chaos. So with the familiar spirit, they do watch you, even as we have angels that watch over us to bear us up in their arms lest we dash our foot against a stone. That's a psalm. The angels are watchers as well, and they do watch over us. They're given charge over us. But their job is to protect us, even to minister to us as heirs of salvation according to Hebrews. But unclean watchers, they watch us, to destroy us and they study us. And so they watch if we flirt with Christianity and they want to pervert it. Uh, Mr. Luke and I have had lots of talks about how he was raised Methodist and Baptist, and he didn't have crazy thoughts about hearing from God when he was a Methodist and a Baptist. Only when he got among us, crazy Maddox, Pentecostals, word of fakers, did he start having these crazy thoughts because watchers, familiar spirits, know the culture of a Pentecostal church. And when they know that, oh, everybody in that church talks about hearing from heaven, now I can pass myself off as a voice. Whereas denominational churches don't believe God talks to anybody anymore, so they don't even bother to pass themselves off as the voice of God because the Baptists will say, go to hell, devil, because they would recognize it instantly. But unfortunately, sometimes the Baptists tell the Lord Jesus the same thing. Leave me alone, devil, because they don't know the voice of the shepherd speaking supernatural. They're wonderful at the word of God. Actually, one of my Baptist friends was telling us, he said, we Baptists hear from heaven. We, we hear the voice of God. We just don't tell the other Baptist friends. <laughs> we can only tell that to our Pentecostal friends because they get it. <laughs> so at least they're honest about it. They're just closet hearing from God. Oh, might as well be bold about it. I heard from God. God spoke to me. So what we have to be mindful of is that there are forces at work in the earth. And this has got to be mindful of us. We, we need to be mindful of this every day. You have darkness and light and both of them compete for us. We're born again, so we ought to be children of light, but that doesn't mean we default to that. Paul had to tell the Ephesians church that you're supposed to put on the new man, which is after God created in holiness and is sanctified, but you have to tell Ephesians that because they don't naturally do it. Now, some of the things we can look and deduce from our lifestyle, well, if you've got peace, you have God. If you have joy you have God. These are the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God's Spirit working in your life. If you lack the nine fruit of the Spirit, you lack workings of God in your life. The first three, I think, are by far the most important. They are love, joy, and peace. Plus, they're the easiest to remember. But you have the love of God, the joy of the Lord, and the peace that passes all understanding. You can't fake those because they hold up under any circumstance and situation. Plus, if those three fall, the rest of your life falls apart. If your love walk falls, you have no faith. Faith works by love. If your joy falls, you have no strength, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you have peace that falls, then your mind goes crazy, because it's a peace that passes your heart, uh, your understanding, and it garrisons and keeps guard over your heart and mind. So those three are probably the most critical out of all nine fruit of the Spirit. And they they are probably the best how we can judge if we're right with God or not. On the flip side of that, you have the opposite of love is going to be hatred, anger, animosity, vindictiveness, hostility. What's the opposite of joy? Just baptized in vinegar and sour, and and you don't have any joy. You have angst, and you have anxiety, and you have frustration, and you're just mad all the time, and you have a hairpin trigger, and you're snipping at people. There's no joy. And then with peace... What's the opposite of peace? Chaos, tumult, turmoil, restlessness. Uh, If you're born again and your life is not defined by love, joy, and peace, it's because you don't walk with God. And if you're not walking with God, you're not fit to lead. And what we ought to do is be full of God so that everywhere we go, we're manifesting love and joy and peace. Jesus Christ taught his disciples, when you go into a city, basically, there ought to be enough of me and you that they can feel you come in. That'll be enough of my peace on you that you can let that peace abide on that home. And if it's not worthy, because you're permitted to judge, according to Jesus Christ, you retract that peace and they can feel it retracted off of them. Now, what's sad is that Judas was capable of that kind of peace impartation and peace retraction. We don't seem to be able to. In fact, we're not as influential as even Judas was in environments and in homes and in settings. Because we get some dingling prodigal in our home, and they affect us more than we affect them. We get some weirdo in the office, in our cubicle or in our office, and they affect the office of our, the atmosphere of our office more than we affect them. So the real problem we're dealing with here, church, is that we're probably not walking with Jesus Christ as we should, which maybe it's better than you ever have before, but you got to press in more than Amen. ever Amen. because the speed of time is accelerating. And if you're walking with Jesus at the speed of the 1980s, it's not, it's not fast enough. If you're running at the speed of your race from the 1980s, it's not fast enough. We keep pressing in. It ought to be a vector of acceleration. It isn't just a constant speed. You're accelerating into God, accelerating in your prayer. You're accelerating in your Bible studies. You're reaching deeper into the presence of God, and you're staying anointed. It's like, it's like radiation or just heat transfer. The world is getting colder and colder, and you've got to be more and more hot to maintain your heat. The colder it is outside, the more your heat furnace has to work to keep your house hot. Your house doesn't. Your heat furnace doesn't have to keep your house hot in the summer. It's hot. It's like it isn't hard to serve God in revival because everything's hot for God in revival. It's hard to serve God when the world is cold against him. And if you hadn't noticed, the world is getting colder and colder and colder. And so you and I have to work harder and harder, pardon the term, work, to stay hot for God. We've got to pray more fervently. Stay a little bit longer in prayer. Linger there longer. Study a little deeper in your Word. Hold fast your confession a little bit stronger. Push, push out and and evangelize a little bit more. But we're not in the fall season of humanity, where it's easy to keep the house hot. We're in the dead of winter, and and it's plummeting. It's not even a Tennessee winter, man. We're getting into Antarctica, minus forty, minus forty. Your little heat pump is worthless. You're, you're breaking up grandma's kitchen table and burning it to keep some heat going. And that heat doesn't even go very far in your house. So we're living in a day where it's easier and easier to tell who does and doesn't walk with God. And listen to me, just because you can quote scripture doesn't mean God likes you. Just because you can quote scripture and abuse your family with it doesn't mean God endorses you. Haven't you noticed our dingling politicians like the wax Christian from time to time and they'll quote scriptures even if it's out of two Corinthians? Huh. They want to quote Scripture, shut up, Pelosi. They want to quote Scripture, shut up Obama, shut up, Trump. You you don't walk none of you walk with God. Shut up, Biden. You can quote scripture all day. Huh. Yeah, your little your little speechwriters don't even know God. They were born on TikTok. They don't even know what scriptures are. They don't even know what the parables are anymore. So sure, you can quote scripture, but that doesn't mean God endorses you. God wants us to know him, and we've got to be fervent. We've got to be hot. You've got to press into God. You've got to be able to judge yourself and recognize, i got hostility. I have anger. I have issues. And my question is, how long will they stay in you? How long? Because when you're cold at home, you get up and you bump up the thermostat. And you put forth effort to preserve your family. There's a commandment that we are all under. If you didn't know you're under laws, you are under laws in the New Testament, a thousand of them. One of those laws is seek peace and pursue it, which means it doesn't come easy. Now, when you have peace, you guard it with everything you've got. When I have peace in my home, There's nothing I will not cut off to maintain. If my mom and dad, who I love and who are great-grandparents to our kids, if they become a source of strife, I cut them off. I don't even bat an eye at it. If my kids who get to do gymnastics, if there's some kid on the gymnastics team that's bringing strife into my home, we quit gymnastics, I don't bat an eye at it. Because peace is such a rare commodity in this day and age, and I'm commanded to seek it. There it is over there. Now pursue after it. And when you do that, you're going to lose people. I'd rather lose them than lose Jesus Christ and lose peace. Plus, have you not noticed that they are a lot more about sucking and ruining your peace than you are at giving it to them? Dr. Barclay has said, the pagans are better at paganing than we are Christ-serving. He would say it this way, they're more the Philistines are more committed to their gods than we are our God. Therefore, their anointing, if you can call it that, is stronger than our presence and that we maintain with Jesus Christ. Shame on us. And what we're doing is we're limping around like a bunch of weak Christians, mediocre and lukewarm, thinking we can win our backslidden prodigal. You know, you can't even disciple your own wife. You can't even maintain joy. How will you ever win your prodigal? How will you ever win your roommate? How will you ever win your classmate if you can't even maintain love, joy, and peace in your little soulish realm on a day-to-day basis? So what you must do is eliminate anything that would suck your peace and drain your joy and hurt your love. You, you've got to eliminate it. These watchers, they, there are some that are not holy according to Daniel, and they know where you're weak. They know where you're a pushover. They know, in a sense, where you'll pull over and pick up another stray dog. And they'll just set up stray dog after stray dog after stray dog after stray dog. They know when you're the kind of person that you want to just fix people, and you yourself aren't even fixed yet. And they'll just keep setting up scenario after scenario where you, just, you think you can help everybody that shares your DNA. You think you can help everybody that has your last name. You can think you can help everybody that's your favorite color. And you can't. You can't help them all. Yeah, Pastor Vaughn used to say, the most important person to God in your life is you. And you must seek the peace of God in your life. You must seek joy in your life. You must seek uh, uh, love in your life. Because if not, you can't have a good marriage. You won't be able to give anything to your kids for them to enjoy. Think about kids being raised in chaos. Kids being raised with moms and dads fighting and screaming at each other. Kids being raised by dads who don't attend church. Kids being raised by dads that make excuses why they can't be home to help dad. Listen to me, parents, because we have another generation of young parents. Your kids will either grow up to marry someone just like you because they adore you or someone the opposite of you because they've learned to despise you. They may grow up and say, I don't want to be married. Why? Because I watched my parents' marriage and I don't ever want to be in that kind of relationship. And that means you're failing God because if your marriage isn't even a, an epistle to your kids, what have you even done with your marriage? You're supposed to be living out Christ and the church in your marriage, which means you lay down your life for your wife, not some stupid hobby, not some stupid club, not some stupid sport. You lay down your life for your wife, and that makes your little girl say, I want a man just like daddy. Amen. And you, because you lay down your life for them, that's called love. Love. When you're a caveman and all you want is sex and food, that's not called love. That's called selfish. Dogs are like that. They drool and hump. That's all they do. We got husbands that are like that. They're just hungry or horny. I wouldn't marry anybody like that. I wouldn't want my kids to. When I pray for my daughters to marry the right person at the right time, that's not who I have in mind. Comes home, wants dinner and sex, and then you do the rest. No. No, that will never be my son-in-law. Amen. That man deserves to be single the rest of his life. Amen. That's a selfish man. There's no love there. So you have no love there. How can you ever communicate to your kids what love is? So then your kids don't grow up in love. They grow up in selfishness. And then you will wonder why they rebel against God. And then what about this joy? Joy where there's no fighting. There ought to be joy in our homes. Yes. You ought to be excited to get home. You ought to be excited to see your kids. Your kids ought to be excited to see you because we're going to have fun together. There's discipline. There are chores to be done. But in between that, we're laughing, we're giggling, we're having fun. We look forward to watching our favorite TV show together or to throwing the ball in the backyard together. We like being together on a vacation. If you have a crummy home life, vacations are just little microcosms of crumminess, but way more expensive. And you cannot save children by taking one vacation a year. You save children by being a dad to them year-round. Quit trying to make it up to your kids for being a deadbeat by one awesome vacation a year. Be there with them. They don't want that vacation. They want you anyway. Plus, when you get to that hotel room, they're going to hate you as much there, probably more because they can't get away from you. You just blew three grand just to be hated even more. There ought to be joy in your home because kids flourish under love and they flourish under joy. They ought to see joy between mom and dad. They ought to see mom and dad flirting, mom and dad kissing, mom and dad tickling. I don't even care if they see mom and dad grabbing a few things. Let them be grossed out by it. We say, yeah, you you say that now, but you just wait. (laughs) How do you think we made you? Started off just like this. (laughs) They need to see that because that's reality. This isn't Little House on the Prairie where you have like the Victorian neck thing, a little brooch right there. How did you make me? Magic. I was a student of Houdini. No, this is joy in a home. Because what happens if you don't have joy in your home, your kids will find joy and love somewhere else, and they'd rather be with those people, and they'll find acceptance with that adult, that teacher, that professor, that coach, and not you. You've lost your kids. And then there's peace. That will be peace. They ought to know that, that if they're in trouble, you're going to deal with it, and then you're not going to bring it up again. There's nothing worse than a parent that just keeps bringing up the past over and over and over and over and over again. That's sick. It's demented. It's torture. There needs to be discipline, but once we've repented, we're done. We have peace. We have reconciliation, and we teach our kids to reconcile with one another so that they don't hate each other. So this love, joy, and peace, this is how we see that we're really right with God. And if you lack these things, you're not right with God. Because these are simple things that are the fruit that mom walks with God and dad walks with God and they're teaching their kids to walk with God and the marriage is reflective of a relationship with God. And it takes constant work. Amen. Amen. You have to seek peace and pursue it. That tells us that peace is going to be a constant work. And as a dad, you can't be living on your smartphone. You have to be living in your kids' lives. You've got to be able to watch when your kid's peace dips and figure out why did your peace dip. Who is in your life draining the peace? I'm praying into it. And whoever that kid is, you eliminate them. Their interaction you don't like. (laughs) This doesn't get on Reddit or 4chan or some kind of dark web thing. Hey, I need you to take care of this kid for me call a big Tony or somebody. This is not that. You eliminate that influence. I've told you for years, teenagers don't have the maturity to have a smartphone. And we pretty much clean that up mostly, but uh, smartphones teach kids to be homosexuals. Smartphones teach kids to be transgender. Transgenderism is now called a social contagion. Smartphones teach kids to be suicidal, to be depressed. They develop a new psychological condition called fear of missing out, and they compare themselves to their friends on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok who have totally filtered everything, and they can never be like that because guess what? She's not like that. She's just as depressed, and her parents are just as weird as yours. Except you gave your kids that, and you sinned against God and condemned them Because you violated the scripture that said, seek peace and pursue it. There's no peace to be had on a smartphone. Teenagers are not mature enough to have one. Because most of you are not mature enough to have one. We've all sinned on a smartphone, and then you want to give it to someone who's still walking through puberty? Can't even clean up their room or brush their teeth or wash their face consistently enough? You want to give this mature adult tool to a kid who is still walking through hormonal changes? You're a fool of a parent. I don't say you don't love your kids, but you don't know how to love your kids, because we're looking for the fruit of God in our life. and This right here is something, and televisions in bedrooms, and game consoles unsupervised, these are things that will suck the life of God out of your kids. The second they put on that headphone to talk to somebody in the gaming world, you are drilling holes in your kid's soul. And they're sucking, they're losing the peace. And you're wondering why your kids are so weird. Because you're not parenting them. You're not seeking peace and pursuing it. You're not being the watcher over their soul. You're letting a watcher be a watcher over their soul and not an holy one. We have to seek peace and pursue it. We've got to walk in the love of God. We've got to contend for the joy of the Lord. Because if not, we don't have any stability in our life. And these are serious times that we live in. Our, our society is being revolutionized overnight by people living on a smart device connecting with demonized people. They're a voice in their life. You have to figure out what's sucking the peace out of your home and spend whatever dollar amount to plug that hole. Cut off whatever person needs to be cut off to plug that hole. Eliminate whatever person needs to be eliminated to protect that family. Whatever aunt, uncle, job. There's no job you have to work. You can walk away from a job right now if it's costing you your family. God would not let you go splat. You can walk away from any grandmother. You can walk away from any brother, any BFF. You can walk away from any adult child, and you should if they're drilling holes in your soul and sucking love, joy, and peace out of it. Quit believing this lie that you owe everybody everything when you haven't even given Jesus Christ half your life yet. It's a false, it's a false philosophy, a false wisdom, sensual thing. You have to save everybody. No, you, know, you owe Jesus Christ everything. And once you serve Jesus Christ, he can direct you to who you can and can't help. Yeah. And you're a Christian. You're supposed to love. I'm working on it. Starting with you. And We don't even have an understanding of what love is. Remember, love destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Love kicks the prodigal out. Love rebukes, open rebukes better than a secret love. We don't even know what love is because we don't live by the Bible anymore. We live by TikTok, Oprah, and feelings. So we've got to figure out what this fruit is supposed to look like in our life so that we don't ruin things. Go to James Chapter four, your job is to seek peace and pursue it. You ought to relegate or watch what your kids watch on television. If it causes them nightmares, turn it off. If it causes them stress, turn it off. That's love. How can we do that with three-year-olds? Oh, you don't need to be watching this. That's just too mature for you. But when they get to be 13, you quit relegate. You quit watching over their soul because you think, you think because now they, they menstruate, They're mature enough to handle girlfriends. You actually end up parenting kids into their 20s because they need that help and that wisdom. It's just a different kind of parenting. And please understand, parenting is always evolving dependent upon the need that they're facing today. And maybe you were diligent the first four years of their life, the first five years. But I've said this, just because they can make their own cereal doesn't mean they're done being parented. You ought to be able to recognize when a friend is too perverse for your child. When a public school system is too corrupt for your child. You got to be able to recognize when an uncle is too carnal for your child. When a family reunion is not worth the trip. Please, there's nothing in this life, there's nothing in this Bible that says we owe family reunion our family. There's nothing that says our kids have to play every sport. There's nothing in this Bible that says our kids should play any sport. There's nothing in this Bible that says our kids should have sleepovers, and if we don't give them a sleepover, we're depriving them of some sacred right. Most of the folks I've dealt with that were molested or raped were molested or raped at sleepovers. We don't do sleepovers in my house, and we never will. And our kids have just had to get over that. I'm amazed. I got, well, you know what? Most of the porn I got exposed to in middle school was at sleepovers. It's all about removing your kids from your influence. Do you really know how they parent? Somebody, say, as your pastor, you guys don't all have the same standard of parenting in this church. I don't trust my kids with all of you because I know you. I don't trust my daughters with your daughters because I know you. I don't trust my son with your son because I know you. So you're going to let this, your kids go have a sleepover with a public school kid whose parents you don't know whose church you don't know, whose standard of parenting you don't know. We are supposed to seek peace and pursue it because children develop the most brilliantly under peace. When you as a mom and dad fight like cats and dogs, your kids, your kids are going to need a lot of therapy and a lot of reparative discipleship, and that's your fault, mom and dad. When your marriage isn't defined by love and joy and peace, you're going to raise perverted kids who don't know stability. They don't know joy. They don't know love. They don't know acceptance. They don't know how to open their heart. They're always looking, and you're going to squirt them out to some kind of weird relationship because you didn't give them what they needed. And so the Bible says we seek peace and we pursue it at all costs. Nothing says you have to have the internet in your home. Nothing says you have to have Disney Plus in your home. Nothing says you have to have friends over. Nothing says your kids have to play with the neighbor kids. None of this is a law. There is a law that says seek peace and pursue it. So what are you willing to do? Because we, we, we're flirting with all sorts of perversion, justifying it because it's not that bad. And you don't realize what you're bringing into your house. You don't realize what you're bringing into the fertilizer of your kid's soil that they're going to take up. Because there's watchers and they know how to destroy families. They know how to set up mom and dad. They know how to play mom and dad against each other. And by the way, how long does it really take to find love? How long does it take to get joy in your life? How long does it take to get peace? If you would just find the things that are sucking that out of your life, you could fill your bucket up and have something to minister to your family, husband. How long does it take to beat porn? If you want to. How long does it take to beat lust, to beat booze? How long does it take to beat alcohol? You know something? Death cures alcoholism. But don't wait for death to set you free. Beat that thing. How about gossip? You could be delivered from social media if you really wanted to. Hostility, unforgiveness, you could beat these things. Insecurity, you could beat these things, dude, man, if you really wanted to. Or you can keep being selfish, selfish you. Just totally oblivious to the hell and chaos you leave behind you for your wife and children. Insisting on working crazy long hours, coming home from work and turning around and going somewhere else. I feel sorry for your spouse. They deserve better than you. How did you sucker them into marriage? What did you tell them? You should sell used cars. How did you convince her to throw her life away? How did you convince her to be bottlenecked behind a guy like you the rest of her life and give, her, give you her best years while you gave her nothing? How'd you do that? How'd you pull that off? You're a con man. You gave her no joy. You gave her no peace. You gave her no love. You've given her heartache, hardship, neglect, frustration. I wonder how many tears your wife has cried over you. I wonder if we were to ask for that back out of you, how much pain we'd have to inflict on your body to get it. Could we do it with a bicycle chain? A Ugandan baton? Could we beat you with a baton? That's what they call a baton. You reap what you sow. Man, do you realize how precious your wife is to Jesus Christ? That she represents the church who Jesus Christ died for, laid down his life for, and you bring her to tears on a regular basis through your selfishness, through your porn, through your lust, through your arrogance, through your hostility, through your harsh words, and, and, and what? what? And then you demand respect. Respect of what? Gorillas take better cares of their monkeys than you do, oh man. Coco would take a better care of your child than you do. Coco, If Coco could care for a kitten... I think Coco could care for your baby and even sign it. I love this baby. And what do you do? You come home and go do something else. You're no man. You're no husband for sure. We're back to just drooling and humping, horny and hungry, two base animal instincts driven by hormones and and need for survival. I would wonder if you're born again. Because it's for certain you don't have a walk with God. Because if you have a walk with God, you can control hunger and lust. And you can lay down your life. And you can be in your children's life. And you can put down your flesh and your whims and your ambitions and sacrifice that your kids could see what a real man looks like. Because you ought to be your kid's hero, not Pastor Chris, not Mr. Luke, not some football player. Daddy Daddy ought to be the hero and typically daddies are till about 3 or 4. And then kids are awakened to what their parents are really made out of. So there's this watcher that watches your family and knows what buttons to push to make you fall apart because the watchers play the long game. The familiar spirit plays the long game. You might you might be born again. We might see you again one day. But there's no guarantee for your kids. Because if you're the representative of Jesus Christ in their life, they're going to hate Jesus Christ. Why do so many folks in our nation hate police? Because they've had bad representatives of police in their little local neighborhoods. Police aren't the problem. Bad police are the problem. Daddies aren't the problem. Bad daddies are the problem. Husbands aren't the problem. Marriage isn't the problem. Bad husbands and bad marriages are the problem. So... Understand that you've got a watcher who's taken notes and knows how to make you fall apart and is apparently still tracking you and succeeding because you can't get the victory over the stuff for which we don't beat you up. We're just trying to provoke you to do something better. Don't you realize that when you're selfish, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your wife and your kids and the body of Christ. My notes this morning are for the laying on of hands and I'm having to take a whole service to deal with a couple of deadbeat dads. I'd, I'd rather talk about laying on of hands and Paul wanting to come to Rome to impart some spiritual gift and Jesus laying hands on the little children that he might bless them. But no, see your selfishness affects whole church services too. think about that. God's so irritated with you, we're having to sit and talk about you. But I don't know if so much if it's God irritated with you because he knows how you are. It's that he's having to answer your wife's cry. So how come your wife can move God, but you can't? Maybe she's the one that actually walks with God. You're just the intellect because men are good at intellectualism. (laughs) So smart, so smart, so smart. No joy, no peace, no love, but smart. And you better give me respect. For what? Tell me what I respect. What should I respect? What have I said so far that respect worthy? (laughs) Amen. James 4, we should read a verse before we bring men to tears though they probably ought to reap some of it. Let's begin in verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among your marriage? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? So, okay, why, why do we fight in our marriages? Because of selfish lust. I want this and I want that. And I can tell you as an American man and a pastor... Wives usually take the hit. They're the ones that love their children more than their father do. I will tell you, mamas love children more than dads do. There's something about it. There's something about carrying that baby in their womb. There's something about looking down at them as they breastfeed the first year or so. There's something about it. And they have that nurturing thing. And men have learned to exploit this. That Oh, she'll always be there. Oh, she'll always be there. Oh, she'll always be there. And at some point, mama just breaks and she says, look, I need help. Why am I always the one that takes the hit? And she squawks. And you know what the stupid, redneck, toothless caveman says? I'm the head of this home, you Jezebel. Get in there and fix me some dinner. And then you better have some lingerie on. You respect me for what? Because you can walk upright and not drag your knuckles. <laughs> I mean, what is it? What, what are we respecting? Because <laughs> you've lost the monkey tail. I mean, what? I don't, I'm not sure what exactly was praiseworthy. Yeah. So you made a kid. Yay! You know, it took you what? A minute. <laughs> That's your contribution to the whole equation. You're no man. You lust and have not. You kill. The Bible says, He that hates is a murderer. Yeah, right. So, how much hate is in your marriage? You desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. The word amiss means diseased motives. Diseased motives. You ask and receive not because you have diseased motives, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. There's one of our biggest sources that drills holes in our life that sucks love and joy and peace is that we're friends with the world system. The world system. Doing things the world's way. Got to go run with the guys. I need a break. From what? Doesn't mama ever get a break? Doesn't mama get a night out with the girls? Don't you think your kids should know who you are and not just the belt? Shouldn't they know daddy as a jungle gym? Shouldn't they know daddy as a, a football thrower? Shouldn't they know daddy as a tickle monster? Shouldn't they know daddy as a Bible scholar? Shouldn't they know daddy as someone who tucks them in and has taught them to pray? What will your kids be able to say, my daddy taught me? Well, I learned how to abuse mom. I learned how to be grumpy. I learned how to withdraw to my little manhole. King of his domain, all 20 square feet of it. Aren't you ripping it up in life? What's your kids going to be able to say they learned from you, dude? Nothing. And they'll hate men. Won't want to marry. Or the problem is if you don't change, this will get worse to where your kids want to have nothing to do with you. And you'll die alone. They'll avoid you at Christmas, anniversaries. They might send you a birthday card if they think to. But you've hurt their heart. Yes. Yes. Children are precious. Yes, are. But if you believe it, treat them as such. Yes. Spend time with them. They're absolutely just... They, they want to look up. They adore. They, they just want to idolize something. Give them something worth idolizing. Amen. He says... You're friends with the world. Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Being a friend of the world means you do the things the world's way. You get wisdom off the Internet. You post your life on social media. That's friendship with the world. You do things the way you saw your daddy do, always demanding respect but never earning any. That's that's how the world handles things. That makes you the enemy of God. We ought to be searching the Scriptures to figure out how God designed this thing to work. And honestly, if you struggle, just say, how does Jesus treat the church? Is he always skipping out on us so we can go hang out with the boys? Or does he lay down his life again and again? If we call upon him, is his presence there? If we call upon him in an hour of need, is his presence there? If you don't know how to work this thing, you're not as smart as you think you are. Because parenting is not hard. It's just hard work because it's selfless work. There's no hobby worth your kids. There's no friendship at your level that's worth your kids. There's no sport, no vacation worth your kids. None of it. There's no vehicle, no house worth your kids. If you do this thing right, your kids will keep coming back to you into your senior years. And I can't think of any greater reward for a life well lived than your children surrounding you on your deathbed. And them sad and not happy. And them gathering the children and the grandchildren around great grandpa, that you have a legend, you're legendary in your own lineage, and your grandkids want to, that's my great grandpa. And they've heard the stories. They haven't just heard the stories, they got to live with them, they got to be around them. That goes for you, grandparents. So let me flip it up. Because we have grandparents in this church that don't do anything with your grandkids, and they're local. It's one thing if they're in Florida or if, if they're in Texas, if, if they're in California. I get that, you know. Get around them once or twice, three times a year. But you're the local and you're too busy for them. What kind of excuses are the grandkids going to hear trying to justify you as a deadbeat? Grandma. We're supposed to have this legacy of faith. But if all you are is somebody they see at a church event, then you're, they got spiritual grandmas better than you. Does it hurt your heart when they call someone mom and it's not you? Or they call someone dad and it's not you? Because family is not so much about DNA, and hopefully you know that. Otherwise, adoption would be impossible. Family is about who you spend time with and who you invest in. You can donate semen and not be a dad. You can donate an egg and not be a mom. You can have no shared DNA and be the mother they never knew they needed. The grandfather they always adored. Because it's about selflessness and investing in somebody. There's nothing in this region worth squat if you lose your kids or your grandkids. White County can't cough up a hick furball big enough for your grandkids, it can't even spell furball. Is that one R? Are too all oh, yurt. It's one of them. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> this region, we're we're too. This is this region. The laziness is ruining our grandparenting testimony. Amen. Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think God wants you to have a relationship with your grandkids? Even for long distance, I told one of our grandparents, even if you can't be up there once a month, set up a monthly Zoom Bible study. What a, what a cool idea. Do Hey, it's grandma night. It's grandpa night. Grandpa's going to, we're working through Nehemiah with grandpa. It's Thursday night, once a month. And you get to spend time with grandpa talking about Zoom, talk about their stuff, and then talk about uh, Nehemiah over Zoom. If it's important to you. There's the real problem. We're busy with... What? What does this region have that we're so busy with? I'm sorry, what? It's kind of quiet. And by the way, it's been the COVID season for two years now. If it's important to you, you make time. So... Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? How many things are we grieving God in? Especially in our parenting. Verse 6 gives us hope. He gives more grace. That means it's possible. Grace is the power you need to make the change. Grace is the power you need to make the change. Grace is the power you need... to be a part of your kid's life again, to be a part of your grandkids' life. Some of my fondest memories are getting to be on the farm with my Papaw and my Mary Mac, that was his sister, and, and everything we got to do on the farm because that time I spent on the farm in Louisiana, some of my fondest memories because I got to be around my Papaw. And then as I got older, I appreciated him more There's a reason why God made family to work the way it did. He did not intend for your kids to be raised by their peers on TikTok. Amen. Kids need role models, and they are not the same age as them. Amen. I think Olympians are horrible role models because they're all 15 to 25. What do those people know? Nothing. We don't look to them as role models. All they are is fit. And most of them got molested while they were being trained to be so fit. So there, that's a dead end again. God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. I would try to have a relationship with your grandkids before your children say, no thanks. We've been disappointed too many times. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. See how simple this is. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and the devil flees. You submit to God, the watcher flees. You submit to God, the watcher's game plan doesn't work. But submitting to God isn't just simply, oh, Lord, I submit to you. Submitting to God is an all-inclusive package. It means you do what God says to do. And his commandments are not grievous, and they're not difficult. He'd be unjust to give us impossible tasks. They're just obedience. And just by submitting and obeying God that watcher that familiar spirit his game plan his master plan his strategy of watching how you respond to all of his stimuli and all of his traps it flees from you but you can't disobey the scripture and get that watcher to flee you you have to do the word you can't solve problems apart from the word of god you can't there's no new way to fix a problem and you don't get to fix problems on your own that's prideful man think I'll fix it on my own. I'll fix it when I'm good. I know what to do, but well, then shut up and do it. Just do it. What we waiting on? Well, I, I was waiting for the moon to be right, and, you know, I'm a Virgo, so I was wanting the signs, and price of Tia, China's really in flux right now, and the tides are kind of low, and, you know, we'll see what the NFL's going to do this year with the COVID picks. And So I was waiting for all that, and then I was going to do what I You don't know anything. You're back in Yurtville coughing up fur balls, going nowhere. Got there yesterday. We do what we know to do, and we make the sacrifice today, because when it's all said and done, have you not realized what the world has to offer crumbles all around us on a regular basis? So what's left is family, real family. Real family serves Jesus Christ together. Real family sacrifices for Jesus Christ together, because real family wants to be family in heaven together. And I'm sorry, if you're my brother or sister through DNA, and you're not interested in Jesus Christ, we're not real family. I'll pray for you to become family. But remember Jesus rebuked his mama and said, I'll tell you who my mom is, she that does the will of my father, which meant in that moment that was not his mother. Sorry for the Catholics. And She was there with her other sons. And I don't think they were immaculately conceived either. So in that, you know, 33 years later, she's not a virgin anymore or the queen of heaven. the not-so-virgin saint, the not-so-virgin just mother of faith. And Jesus said, today you're not my mom because you don't savor the things that belong to God. Church, whatever sucks the life out of our family, we eliminate. I don't care if it's your sister. I don't care if it's a job. I don't care if it's your dream job. If it's costing your children, show God you're thankful for the children you believe God to have. Lay down your life, put that thing on the altar, and save your children. Some of you grandparents are just borderline deadbeat because you have no influence in your grandkids' life. Why? You're like retirees. You're old. What is there for you to do? Part of having grandkids, the Bible says the glory of the old men are the children, the grandchildren. Why don't you want to be around your grandkids? What is so important? What is so busy? They're going to grow up and not even know who you are. We believe God for our kids, then our kids grow up, and we believe God that they get married the right guy, they marry the right guy or girl, then we believe God with them they can have a baby, and then we don't want any part in that baby's life? doesn't make any sense. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. This is one of our big answers. We draw near to God. No matter where we are today, we can draw closer to God. You can draw closer to God. And when you get into the presence of God, he's going to tweak your life. He's going to say, hey, you need to give your wife more attention. Hey, that sport doesn't need any more of your time. Your kids could use some more of your prayers. Your kids need to be held more. When you draw near to God, and you ought to do that every day, it's like in baseball, you tag up. Just tag up with God. Spend some time with him. Reset, recalibrate, see what needs to be done today, and then go about your day. But if you're going weeks without tagging up, you're going to be off target. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Notice he doesn't draw near first. We draw near. Notice also all these are commandments, which means our will is involved. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. All these commandments, and they're kind of kind of insulting because he's telling them you're not submitted to God. You're submitted to the devil. You need to flip that. You're murderers. You're adulterers and adulteresses. You're in love with the world. Uh, you don't draw near to God. You're dirty, and your parts impure. What an, a powerful epistle of encouragement. Joel Osteen would love to write a book about this, except it's not your best Tuesday ever. These are hard words telling a church how to grow up. And he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. What are you double-minded about? Purify it. Focus. We have watchers that want to destroy our family, and we're too lazy to do anything about it. We, We go about our business. We assume our wife's always going to be there for us. We assume our kids are always going to be interested in us. Our wives are having to do Damage control for us. They're having to make excuses for us. Get this thing fixed while you still can. Let me also say this. I've said it for a long time. It is unjust to expect your kids to raise their siblings. I think I would go so far as to say it's wicked and perverse to expect the older kids to raise the younger kids. Now, the question is, where does that line get crossed? Because I think older kids should have chores and duties. But when older kids become the parents, number one, you've robbed the children you made of real moms and dads, and number two, you've robbed the older kids of their childhood. It's wicked and selfish, so you can what? Go play Xbox? Go fishing? I mean, you want to make these kids, but you don't want to parent them? Again, what respect do we owe you? None? None. I mean, your house is just like a sperm bank. Because that's about how much responsibility you're showing. You, you want to make these kids and expect the kids to raise themselves. That's insanity. They have a mom and a dad for a reason. So quit being selfish and making your kids perverted by making them raise the kids you made. If you made them, you raise them or give them up for adoption. Adoption. All right, look, I had really awesome notes. They were all about. I'll read them to you. Laying on of hands. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. Impartation. To impart something. That was kind of an obvious. For ordination, for blessing, for healing, for impartation, for baptism of the Holy Ghost. I had about 25 different verses we were going to turn to. Laying on of hands to impute sin on the the bullock and on the goat and on the heifer. Oh, it was really good stuff. But we got deadbeat dads who think they're awesome. At what? What are you awesome at? What, what is it you're worthy of respect of? Tell me, because I'm missing it. I'm a smart guy. What should we respect you for? Because you can hold down a job? Yay. Don't teenagers do that? What, because you can have sex? Don't teenagers do that? Because you get hungry and eat. Don't teenagers do that? because you have to shave. You might have a few teenagers beat there. All right, all right. So we're going to respect you because you have a beard or can grow one. Dad, you're the gatekeeper to your house. You're the gatekeeper to your wife. You're the gatekeeper to your kids. And when the watchman owns you, he has access to your home. When the watcher can get you to watch porn, he owns your kids. When the watcher can get you full of lust and perversion and drugs, he owns your kids. When the watcher can make you angry and growl like a grizzly bear and yell at everybody and your whole, all your children tiptoe around you seven days a week, he owns your kids. So if you want to be a man, you need more than just testicles, You need to walk with Jesus Christ. You need more than just testosterone and a beard. You need to walk with Jesus Christ. Real men lay down their lives. Real men make a sacrifice. Real men, children aren't terrified of them. Real men, their kids want to be around them. Real men, their kids want to be just like them. Real men, their little girls want to hold their hands and climb up in their lap. Real men, their little boys want to wrestle them all the time. That's real men. Apart from that, I don't know what you are. Maybe cookful material, Sparta-esque, and we know that's not praiseworthy. Real men know how to lay down their lives for their family. Real men diminish that their family might increase. Real men look at their wives and say, what can I do to help make you the greatest woman ever? What do you need from me? Real men look at their wives and say, where am I holding you back? Real men look at their wives and say, where do I make you feel insufficient? Real men look at their wives and say, where do I make you feel insecure? Where do I diminish you? Where do I put you down? Real men, real men, not these spineless cowards who talk a big talk with a bunch of weak-kneed sissies who wouldn't ever talk that way to another man, but they'll talk that way to their wife because they're spineless cowards. Right. Like, I mean, if you're a real man, come say it to some of us. See how that goes for you. Oh, no, but you'll say it to a woman because you're a man. You'll talk that way to your kids because you're a man. And then you'll retreat to be refreshed in your little 20 by 20 little manhole. Real men lay down their lives for their wives. Real men disciple their wives and make them great in the eyes of God. Real men disciple their children. Real men eliminate any hobby that takes them away from their kids. Real men sacrifice that their kids might stand on their shoulders. Real men don't put their kids down. Real men don't put their wives down. Real men lead their families in prayer. Real men don't have temper tantrums like little fat five-year-old boys. Real men have control of their emotions. Real men have control of their desires. Real men have control of the, the perspective. They see where their household's going. That's what real men do. And that's why you single ladies, you make sure you get a bunch of wisdom before you fall in love with that first guy that shows you any attention. Because you marry the wrong guy, you'll hate it for 20 years. And you'll be miserable, bottlenecked, stuffed behind some deadbeat because he was the first guy to show you any kind of attention. I watched too many women watch their potential wither and die behind a deadbeat man. It's men like you that invent lesbianism. Because women say there's no point in being married to a man, they're all the same. I don't appreciate you ruin our reputation, dude. Because we're not all like you. We work hard. We lay down our lives. We put our children before us, We put our wives before us, we boost them. We, we lift them up. And what do you do? You just think it's all about you? I'm sorry, your dad was worthless. If he's still here, if he's gone, he's gone. You realize you're the way you are because you had a a deadbeat dad. Now, you thought he was awesome, which is why you're still a jerk like him. But do you really think he was that awesome of a guy? If he made you the way you are, he wasn't a good guy. No, those are fighting words because you got more respect for your dead dad than you do your living wife. Oh, yeah. I'll find it. I'll find it eventually. There it is. So let the dead bury their dead. Serve Jesus Christ. We don't analyze deadbeats, and we don't want to be anything like them. We're called up, man. We are called to lead, and we lead like Jesus Christ, laying down our lives, staying up late, praying, getting up early, helping our wives pack. When's the last time you made your own meal, dude? When's the last time you helped make the kids lunch? When's the last time you vacuumed? When's the last time you, you did something more than just eat and have sex? around the house? When's the last time you contributed something to your family? I I don't know. Where are you getting this from? I don't know. You can flush it and send it to hell, though. Or you can send your kids there. We, as men, have got to lead by example. And our wives have got to be able to look at us, even on a bad day, and say, you know what? We're not getting a long day, but I'm still glad I married you. That shouldn't be what they say on a good day when everything just lines up for that split moment like a (laughs) thing, like an eclipse. And for like one minute, I'm so glad I married you. And then it passes, no, I'm not glad I married you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's read Ephesians real quick. Nothing worse than idolizing someone who's not worth idolizing. Because if you keep that idol in your heart, you'll stay like that. You've got to be able to grow up and recognize, you know, I'm glad I had a dad, but boy, he was a worthless scoundrel. You got to be able to say, I'm glad I had my mom, but boy, she was a lazy wretch. You got to be able to call a spade a spade. You got to be able to call it like you see it and not hold anything against them, but also don't idolize them. And if you're not sure what that looks like, come ask me, describe your parent. I'll tell you whether you should look up to them or not. If they're dead, they're not worth looking up to. We have Jesus Christ. He's risen. That's who we look up to. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and insult her and yell at her and put her down for how stupid and wretched and ignorant she is. And come home late and leave early and help her jack Diddley. Because that's how Jesus treats the church. And gave himself for it. God gave himself for us. When he didn't have to, we didn't deserve it. He gave himself for us. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So you mean Jesus doesn't insult us. He washes us. He uses words. So if you can talk, you can help it's the same tool. It's just what you're loading it with. So how about, dude, instead of being the problem, speak words of life and encouragement. Say, honey, you're doing a good job. Honey, I don't know how you do it. I'll pray a grace. I pray. Just how about text in the middle of the day? I was just praying, honey, you'd have all the grace and wisdom because I know you're taking care of this today. And I know I done got you pregnant so many times. Huh. And the least I can do is pray for you when I'm out here doing my easy job. Honey, thank you so much for putting up with me and carrying our babies. When's the last time you told your wife that? You can sanctify her and cleanse her with the words that you speak. And you can wash her from the the cares of the day and wash her from the burdens of mothering and wash her from the frustration of children and, and managing a home, which is a tremendous grace that obviously men can't do. We are totally incapable of it. You see, one guy with a kid—he's already—he's drowning with one kid. Mamas can run a house with twenty, and she's got it masterminded. And look, dude, you are so lame, dude. Let me just tell you, dude, so lame, so lame, so lame. You go to work and you do like one thing, and then you come home, and you just want food and sex, and now you're so tired that you got to go to bed because you got to get up and do this. And she's running a household with 20 kids and a part-time job, and she's homeschooling, and she's up at the church, and she has influence in the community. I mean, she's a, a much bigger person than you, and you want to put her down? If you had a fraction of her competence, your marriage would take off like a shot. Have you ever thought you're the problem With your family. You're the boat anchor. Wash her with water by the word, that you might present your wife to yourself a glorious wife, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. How about if you take care of her, she'll last longer? he that loves his wife loves himself. That might honestly be the problem. The reason you're so full of hate and vitriol is because you have serious insecurity issues, serious self-esteem issues. You're broken on the inside. I'm beating you up this morning, but you're broken. You're dysfunctional. You're discouraged. You didn't have a real man. You didn't have a real dad in your life. Your dad always puts you down. He always insulted you. He beat you. He, he, he was cruel to you. So all you know is to do that to other people. That's several of us in here. Several of you men have come to me and say, I realize I'm, I'm becoming like my dad and I don't want to be that. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to yell. I don't want to have a, a short fuse. I want to be better than this. So it has to die with you. You have to say, as I taught you for the early years of our pastoring, the stupid of McMichael stops with me. The stupid of Thomas, my wife's maiden name, stops with her. We we put nothing in our kids God doesn't want. We take nothing out he wants left in. We only put the best of us, so be better. He that loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Because you know if you're married to her, she is your flesh now. But he nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. He nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord does the church. Take care of your wife like the Lord Jesus does the church. Hear her pain. Respond to her cry. Don't just keep making withdrawals out of her good nature. Oh, she doesn't mean it. I, I, can, I can keep pushing it. If she's squawking, you you got to pay attention. If she's squawking, you got to listen. If she's squawking, she doesn't want to squawk. You didn't marry a, 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 a total squawker. She's squawking because something hurts, and your job is to slow down and take care of her. Listen to me. If I told you that Dr. Jacobs told me he's stepped back away from traveling ministry to care for his wife, that, that's, that man's a prophet. That man's a pastor. That man, he's 70 years old. He's been in the ministry 45 years, and his wife is more important than helping the churches. Now, what is your job? What is your hobby when your wife needs your help? Do you forget that your wife is a daughter of Jesus Christ? She's a daughter of God. I got two girls, as you know, and I'm very zealous of them. You you mistreat my girls. I don't know. I held Lydia as a baby. I said, I could murder somebody. I didn't realize I had murder in me, but just holding this five-minute-old baby, I'll kill a man. I won't even think twice about it. Like somebody said, I'll order the pizza, eat it, then call the cops. (laughs) Yeah. I felt that when I held Lydia as a five-minute-old baby. I think I, not the murderous aspect, but that defensiveness. I think I get that from my father in heaven. And he feels that way about your wife. So you keep mistreating her. God won't have to call the police. He got a whole bunch of angels. You guys bored? Want to do something? I got my eye on this guy down in Yurtville. Total deadbeat. I've been working with him for years. He's not getting it. Huh. We may just crank up that lightning bolt machine. Just go. Ah. Act of nature. No, that was an act of God. You missed the first 17 times. No, I just wanted him nervous. We are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one. One. When you're married, gentlemen, we're one. When she hurts, you hurt. When she rejoices, you rejoice. And don't you know she has dreams, ambitions, gifts, talents, things that your job is to bring out of her, not push her down. How come you're the one that always gets the freedom in your house? Why doesn't she get more freedom? Split the weight of this thing. Be a better husband. Help your wife. Bring that love, joy, and peace. Look at your wife and say, how much love, joy, and peace do I manifest in you? Or is it a fight? Do you spend most of your walk with God trying to not give up? Because no woman should have to spend most of their walk with God not giving up on their marriage. But it happens. Your wife's walk with God should not be about how to get you saved. It should be about, all right, what's the next assignment? What are we doing next? How can I help my man go further? Man, because she's so full of confidence and courage and and energy, and she's so well cared for. She's got extra to, to put towards prayer, to thrusting you forward and raising those babies and influencing the neighborhood. Or just cool off and let this region have you. And you'll fall in that nice slumber of mediocrity. It ain't even mediocre. We're just being polite. Yeah. <laughs> it can't even spell mediocre because that's a French word. Mediocre, meaty, meaty, mediocre. Sounds like the five and dime. I like that meat and three. I want some meat, some ochre, and I want some yams, mediocre yams. <laughs> Them is <just> mediocre yams. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, beating up on this region is like shooting fish in a barrel. It's just too easy, which means it also ought to be easy to overcome if you want to. This really should be like the NBA dunking on the junior high school team at the school for the blind. That's how easy it ought to be for us as born again believers to beat this region. NBA Duncan on the school for the blind intermediate school, junior high basketball team. And if you are getting beat by the junior high blind basketball team, your name must be LeBron James. Father, help us. Help us as husbands. All of us in here have been guilty of something I've said, myself included. I've put myself downrange and shot at myself this morning. Help us as husbands to lay down our lives for our wives. Help us, Lord, to bring out their greatness and help them fulfill their dreams, their ambitions. May we never step on our wives May we never suppress them. May we always look to them for their advice. May we blow upon them winds of strength and encourage. May we wash them with the water by the word of God. Help us, Lord. Help us to be the husbands our wives thought was the prince charming. May, may they not wake up and realize we're just a frog. May they realize we are everything they hoped we would be. And, Father, may we cause our wives to become everything you've called them to be. May we not use them, abuse them, or take advantage of them. But may we help them, Lord, through our ministry as a husband, our leadership as a father, our selfless sacrifice. May our wives know we're going to be up late praying to get direction. We're going to be up early making sure the house is secure. I thank you, Father. Forgive these men. Forgive us. Help these wives be ever more patient with us. May our wives feel appreciated. May they feel loved. Help our grandparents figure out a way to impart some of their faith and their testimonies into their grandchildren. Father, may they have them over once a week or once a month. May, if it's long distance, let them FaceTime a Bible study. May the grandkids even know who their grandparents are. May it be important to our grandparents that they are influential in the lives of their grandchildren. Father, may, may even our old folks reject laziness and excuses father may we not look to the dead may we look to those that are alive and are behind us father may we invest in the future not the past help us lord to hear what you're saying to us about family and what needs to be done have mercy on these wives that endure so much carry babies, deliver babies, raise babies, maintain a home, keep us fed, keep the household going. With If there's other kids, they're keeping those kids dressed. Lord, these women are amazing. The graces you've placed in them are, men can compare to nothing. We hold nothing to them. We are not able to multitask, to nurture, to care for, to anticipate, to regulate, to organize like these women can. Help us, Lord, to cut them a lot of slack and let us do all the heavy lifting because Sometimes that's all we are good for is the grunt work. And may we lay down our lives for our wives. May they see Christ in us. In Jesus' name.